Section thirty five of Four and Twenty Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Whisk. Princess Leonette and Prince Cucuricu by Mademoiselle de Lebert. Translated by James Plachet. Part three. It was some time before he could find words to answer. From his excessive astonishment, but unwilling either to irritate the fairy at the moment he so much wanted her assistance, or to encourage a hope that he felt incapable of sustaining. "'The knowledge you have of the human heart, madame,' he said at last, "'ought to have taught you that a king cannot dispense with the laws of nature more than other men. So pure and intense a passion as I have for Leonette is none of a character to be easily extinguished.' why do you not exert your power to render me insensible i should not then have felt the grief i have to-day nor the happiness you speak of this choice of a great prince or of a fairy who could design to receive my vows and my crown this happiness i say does not at all affect me it is necessary that to be happy i must sacrifice myself for ever to the whims of my people i must choose for myself i would willingly make them happy I feel a pleasure even in desiring and being able to do so. But what can it signify to them who I give them for their queen? I value my greatness only because it enables me to elevate her whom I love. This sweet pleasure would induce me to support the weight of a crown. Without it, what would be every other enjoyment? And I am compelled because I am their master to be deprived of the only pleasure I sigh for? No, madame, in giving them Leonette, I consider that I make them as happy as I make myself. Should they refuse her, they will repent their temerity, and whoever ventures to oppose me will find that my love has not made me forget I am a king. Proceed, ungrateful one, proceed to destroy me, said the fairy. You know too well all the violence of my love for you, and you only pretend not to see it to overwhelm me the more by your severity it is i it is i only who will expose myself to the danger of resisting thy base inclinations dare to punish me and so complete the measure of your crimes but how wilt thou do it thou art in my power and the necklace which i hold and which dropped from thine arm yesterday in my room will revenge me for thy ingratitude in saying this she arose and touching the king with her wand as she advanced to recover his mistress's love token she transformed him into a cock. Then, opening one of the windows, she threw him down into the quarter of the palace, which, after assembling the council, she informed them that the king had absented himself upon urgent business, and she, not being able to remain longer in that kingdom, had determined to appoint a regent. This affair concluded, she ascended to her chariot and disappeared from their sight. The king was dizzy with his fall, but his wings had supported him in spite of himself and when he had a little recovered his senses he jumped upon a balustrade of white and rose-coloured marble which surrounded a piece of magnificent water in the centre of the courtyard to see himself in it he was astounded at his appearance but not that he was the most beautiful bird in the world his body seemed as though it was covered with emeralds his wings were of a bright rose-colour and his head was a crest of brilliance which threw out a most amazing dazzling light his tail was a plume of green and rose color, his feet of the latter hue, with claws blacker than ebony, and his 
peak was a single ruby we will leave this unhappy king reflecting upon the cruelty of his transformation and return to leonette whom we left still more unhappy this beautiful princess after having been six months among the tigers of the fairy tigreline deploring her sad fate was at length withdrawn from them by the fairy herself who pitying her situation came to seek her and carry her to her palace with both their unfortunate companions then after caressing them and conducting them to a very comfortable den she said to the princess my dear leonette you have been a sufficiently long time punished for your imprudence in having given away your necklace without my adding further useless remonstrance to the misery you endure in not being able to change your form until you have recovered that talisman therefore my dear child i shall not scold you any more on the contrary i will mitigate your penalty as much as i can and i am going to prove it to you by restoring your good guardians to their natural forms that they may have the pleasure of talking to you and consoling you poor leonette threw herself at the fairy's feet and by the tears she shed evinced at the same time her joy and her sorrow at not being able to answer her tigreline touched the lion and lioness with her wand in an instant they resumed their human form and after embracing the fairy's knees they embraced leonette a thousand times who returned their caresses as well as she could after this affectionate scene at which tigreline herself could not restrain her tears she thus addressed the old man and his wife good people the days of our transformation will not be reckoned in the term of your existence neither will leonette's when she has passed through hers live to serve and console her until the time of her severe punishment shall have ended i will not have her shut up any longer she can run freely about my gardens and in my forest as for yourselves you will remain in my palace and have charge of her let us wait patiently for time to bring about a more happy termination to this adventure then i can dare to hope for and at least by our fortitude cause fate to blush for her injustice the fairy ceased speaking and embraced leonette with all her heart leonette's was so full that she shed a torrent of tears and uttered groans which increased the affliction both of the fairy and the good people she spent her days in the forest hunting game which the fairy had ordered to be put there for her the tigers respected and saluted her whenever she passed she reclined during the heat of the day in the most secluded and shady places meditating on her fate and feeling less distressed at her own situation than at the absence or the loss of prince kukriku she sighed affectionately at the remembrance of him and her greatest grief was her separation from him she scrawled with her talons on the barks of the trees rudely formed initials hearts and arrows and wept over her lovers and her own misfortune at night she returned to her den and to the fairy who showed her great kindness the old man and his wife amused her by relating anecdotes to her one day that she was at the fairies with her guardians she seized a sheet of paper and a pen and wrote a request to the fairy that she would tell her who she was she presented it to tigreline who as she was very clever contrived to read what the lioness had written no one but a fairy could well have deciphered it she sighed and raised her eyes to heaven then looking affectionately at leonette she said i am going to satisfy you my dear the trials that mortals encounter often serve as lessons to persons of your rank may it please the just gods that those which you have endured from the commencement of your life be the only trials ordained for you 
but do not cease to bear them with resignation and courage you are a princess my dear child they did not deceive you when they told you so you are the daughter of a king of the island of gold the queen your mother died in giving birth to you and the king your father resolved not to marry again that he might preserve the crown for you you were scarcely four years old when a fugitive queen driven from her kingdom came to implore your father's assistance to reign the throne that her rebellious subjects had made her descend from for having persisted in reigning to the prejudice of her only son whom she detained at a distance from the capital for fear he should claim the sceptre this ambitious princess perceiving that the king your father would afford his assistance too slowly for her impatience turned her thoughts in another direction she cared not where she reigned provided she did reign she therefore resolved to marry your father but knowing he did not wish for an increase of family that might deprive you of the crown and that consequently as long as you lived he would never marry she came to consult me she did not attempt to conceal from me her sanguinary intentions respecting you and i knew if i were mistress of the necklace that she wore i should be able to save your life i listened therefore quietly to her notwithstanding the horror that these propositions gave me of her queen i said to her you will never obtain your object until i have possession of your necklace give it to me and be sure of the success of your undertaking a fairy who presided at my birth said she commanded that i should always wear it those were her only words but since it has not prevented my falling from the throne to which my birth had entitled me i part with it willingly and place it in your hands relying much more on your assistance than on the pretended charm to make me happy go said i return to the isle of gold and wait patiently the effect of my power and above all do not attempt the life of the young princess i will serve you without adopting such cruel means she returned to the island and after some time married your father that very day i transported you with the king and the queen into the cavern where the old man found you and changed them both into lions the king because i feared his weakness and the queen to punish her for her wickedness i not only took from her the power of doing you any harm but obliged her to take care of you as for the king i knew i need not inspire him with feelings of humanity he retained them notwithstanding the natural ferocity of the animal into which i had transformed him poor leonette at these words interrupted the fairy by a melancholy roar tigreline smiled and caressing the lioness take courage my dear girl said she you mourn the death of a good father your susceptible heart will feel equal joy in learning that i have saved his life that he is at present residing in a part of the world to which i transported him after i had cured his wound and that he is as anxious to see you again as you can possibly desire leonette who was couched upon a great stone at the feet of the fairy licked her hand softly to show her gratitude and her eyes sparkled with so much pleasure that the fairy delighted at the effect of her good tidings kissed her most tenderly as for the lioness your mother-in-law continued tigreline she died not from grief at losing the lion but from rage at finding her projects frustrated by his death which she really believed and the tears you have shed for her were far more than she deserved for the unwilling care she took of you 
the fairy had arrived at this point in her story when at the window flew a cock of singular beauty and perched upon her shoulder they were all very much astonished the fairy who was spinning let fall her spindle but quickly recovered herself she held out her finger to the bird which jumped upon it and flapping its wings in token of gratitude crowed out kukriku kukriku two or three times at the first note the lioness took fright and ran off as fast as possible her guardians following her in the meanwhile tigreline examined the bird and seeing how wonderfully beautiful he was immediately unraveled the mystery of this adventure prince said she i believe i know you and i am much deceived if you have not just told me your name the prince for it was he stooped his beak to her feet and making a low bow to the fairy oh heavens cried she is it possible there should be such a complicated chain of misfortunes the barbarous being who has reduced you to this sad state has only allowed you the power of pronouncing a name which is the cause of all kinds of evil to you it has even now occasioned your princess to fly from you and perhaps it may have been the last time in your life that you could have seen her the cock at these words looked at the fairy with amazement he had only perceived in the room a lioness and two old people he could not comprehend these words of tigreline she read his thoughts for he could not express them she was here i tell you replied she and i forgive you for not recognizing her but if my sister the cruel cornu had been able to change you into a cock has she not the power also of turning the princess into a lion the cock felt as if he should faint at this cruel news o oh, fate pitiless fate continued the fairy how blind are thy decrees why dost thou punish the innocent and let the guilty live her thoughts would have quite absorbed her if her eyes had not fallen upon the poor bird who had fallen down and appeared dying she took him in her arms and giving him some wonderful liquid to smell he recovered his senses but sighed bitterly at being compelled to see the light again do not distress yourself my dear prince said the fairy i will use all my skills to assist you but to ensure my success you must second my endeavours i cannot render you perfectly happy so long as cornu is in possession of the necklace and it is only through you that i can recover it repose yourself dear prince my books that i am going to consult to-night will enlighten me as to what we shall do to-morrow the king could not sufficiently express his gratitude he pressed his beak on the fairy's hand and squeezed her arm gently with his claw in short he displayed as much feeling as he possibly could tigreline after giving him something to eat and drink which he scarcely touched placed him upon a shelf in her cabinet and then saluting him retired to her chamber to set about the work she had promised to undertake for him while this was passing poor lionette overcome with fear she could not recover from fled with all her might and had already gone far beyond the forest of tigers notwithstanding those animals had used all their endeavours to detain her for they were all fond of her and several of them were in love with her but she had forced her way through every obstacle and having no guide but terror still believing the cock was pursuing her she ran a hundred leagues at once and never stopped till her strength failed her her poor guardians called to her and sought for her in vain they returned very much distressed at daybreak to the fairy to tell her of lionette's flight 
the fairy who knew that if Leonette went beyond the limits of the forest, she had no longer any power over her, and that she would be entirely at Cornue's mercy, left her unwillingly to her fate, and thought only of being of service to King Kokriku. She entered the cabinet wherein he had passed the night to tell him what he had to do. He flapped his wings at her arrival and flew to the ground to kiss the hem of her robe. The fairy took him on her hand, placed him on a little table, and drew it up in front of an armchair in which she seated herself. "'Great king,' said she, "'the destiny that has nursed you since your birth commands me to tell you that you will not reign your natural form, but upon very severe conditions. You must be sufficiently fortunate to recover from Cornu the necklace given to you by Leonette. If you fail to do so, you can never become a human being again but by marrying Cornu. In that case, if Leonette, whom my wicked sister insists upon being a witness to this ceremony, can restrain the grief it must cause her, I foresee that you may become happy at last. But if she have not the courage to support the terrible sight of that marriage, I will not be answerable for anything. Kokriku, at these words, bent his head and shed tears, at which the fairy was much affected. A tender heart, said the fairy, is pardonable and even desirable in a king. Your grief, according to this principle, is very excusable, but you must not abandon yourself too much to sorrow. Leave to vulgar minds, my lord, complaints and lamentations, and without wishing to be stronger than humanity demands, courageously resist the blows of fate. And if you only succeed in testing your fortitude and finding it cannot be shaken, you ought to be content. It is the first of all advantages, and yet one we rarely ask of the gods, because we do not know the value of it. Take this bottle and endeavor to throw a drop of the liquid that is in it upon Cornu. That will make her swoon away, and you will then obtain your object. Konkriku, who was in no hurry to depart, looked at the fairy to ask her to explain herself still further. She understood what he would say. She related in a few words Leonette's history. He thanked her in the most affectionate manner he could, and he now recollected that the fairy, in speaking of her previously, had more than once called her the princess. He was enchanted to learn that this lovely girl was of such high birth, but that did not increase his affection for her. Nothing, indeed, could augment it. It was not so with respect to his indignation against Cornu. Every moment it became stronger, particularly when the fairy at the end of her narration told him that the unhappy princess had taken flight at his crowing, as well as at his name, from the antipathy that lions had naturally to the crowing of a cock that the malicious Cornu had increased it in the case of Leonette, that he had so frightened her that she had flown beyond the bounds of the forest, and that she might have fallen already to Cornu's power. As, having once quitted the forest of tigers, she could not possibly re-enter it till she had resumed her own shape. King Kokriku was instantly anxious to depart, and indicated as well as he could to Tigerlane, who could understand at half a word. After embracing him and fastening the bottle under his right wing, she opened her window and he flew away, perfectly resolved that rather than crow to frighten the lions, he would be devoured by them. To what fearful extent can passions increase in the hearts of those who do not try to conquer them? 
the implacable cornu distracted by turns or rather at the same moment by the most violent love and by the most frightful jealousy spent her days in the opal palace meditating the deepest revenge against her rival and her lover what more could she desire were they not sufficiently wretched they could not recognize each other and flew from one another as soon as they met could anything more cruel be imagined poor leonette overcome by fatigue fell down from faintness and fright upon some beautiful green turf which answered as a bed for the moment she had run a hundred leagues without stopping as we have said before and with incredible swiftness for she had quitted the fairy in the evening and by sunrise next morning found herself in this strange country so true it is that fear lends one wings she looked around her and saw nothing but the green sward through which flowed a clear stream refreshing the grass and the little wild flowers that adorned it she slept there profoundly after drinking of the beautiful water which possessed the property not only to quench thirst but at the same time to appease hunger she slept for fifteen hours when she awoke she felt much refreshed and continued her journey along the bank at the end of which she saw a palace of architecture as simple as it was wonderful she entered it by a beautiful portico of foliage in it she saw cabinets chambers and galleries all formed of green hedges and what charmed her particularly was that in the middle of each room were large groups of flowers of all sorts that greeted her with most friendly bows and said with one accord as she approached good morning beautiful leonette this wonderfully astonished her she stopped at a tube-rose plant that had saluted her still more graciously than the rest lovely flowers she said to them by what happy chance is this that you have given me the power of speech that is all the skill and friendship of a generous tigreline could not restore to me is it you that have done this tell me that i may return my thanks to you the stream that has quenched your thirst beautiful leonette replied one of the two roses has the merit of it we have no power and it is only when we are watered by it that we have the faculty of hearing seeing and expressing ourselves we are flowers from the garden of the fairy cornu for some time past she has been very sad she came to converse with us but we were unable to comfort her perhaps that task was reserved for you you must use your endeavours she will not return for two days as she was here yesterday her palace is some distance from this wait for her we will do all we possibly can to amuse you till she returns the two bros then ceased speaking although she was naturally a little talkative but she yielded some politeness to leonette's desire to ask some questions i should like to know obliging tube-rose said leonette if cornu whom you speak and to whom you belong is a beautiful fairy and then i should be obliged to your telling me how you knew my name and who i was as soon as you saw me a rose-tree who is the oracle of this place replied the tube-rose at the last sacrifice made to it by the fairy our mistress pretended that a great princess in the form of a lion would one day come hither and that here she would terminate all her distress the fairy displayed immoderate joy at this she redoubled the incense and the bees they being the only victims that are immolated here this is an answer to your two questions at once for by the fairy's delight you can easily conceive her good intentions towards you the innocent leonette thought there was great truth in the two bros conjectures 
she thanked her heartily and begged she would inform her where the rose-tree was that she might consult it as to what conduct she ought to adopt the tube-rose directed her and she soon found the spot it was not far from the cabinet of tube-roses the apartment had some appearance of a temple the hedges forming an arch above the rose-tree which preserved it from the heat of the sun a little balustrade of jasmine and pomegranate trees surrounded this beautiful plant which was covered with so many roses that it was quite dazzling the lioness was obliged to shut her eyes once or twice she tremblingly approached the balustrade and prostrating herself respectfully said divinity of this lovely place deign to receive my homage and tell me my destiny the rose-trees at these words appeared to be much agitated the leaves and flowers trembled and became pale then a voice interrupted by sobs issued from its branches and leonette heard the following words to the severe decree of fate and blind submission bend a princess most unfortunate will hear her sorrows end the princess was frightened at the indications of grief the rose-tree gave way to and if the first words overwhelmed her the later encouraged her a little alas said she i fear nothing but the prolongation of my existence if i should end my miserable life here i should bless the fate that led me to this spot but wise and generous rose-tree before ending my days may i not know if he to whom i would willingly consecrate them still lives and if he is happy wherever he may be this is my only anxiety i should die without one regret if i knew his destiny was decided the rose-bush was again strongly agitated and thus replied for the last time thy desire i raise my warning voice thy lover only will expire shalt thou oppose his choice ah wise divinity exclaimed the affectionate lioness i will ask you nothing more if he live i am too happy may i alone suffer from the severity of the fairies their persecutions appear as nothing to me if he be exempted from them and i permitted to see him happy ah why should i fetter his inclinations alas the choice which i should be opposed to whichever it might be would never offend me what can he owe me and what can i offer him worthy of his merits the unfortunate leonette not having it in her power to make him happy should not prevent him from becoming so at least i may be permitted the desire of being the cause of it saying this she retired to the cabinet of the tube-roses where she passed the night talking of her shepherd and telling her love for him to her faithful friend who in return more fully informed her what she knew of the fairy cornu and of her floral companions as for the oracle rose-tree said she all we know is it is not of the rose-tree race it was here when we came and i believe that the fairy to embellish its dwelling-place transported us hither it speaks without being watered and appears a little amused by our conversation it is naturally melancholy and you have seen for yourself it has a perfect knowledge of the past the present and the future <laughs> the fairy passes whole days when she comes here and talking to it rarely does she do this rarely does she do us that honor and i think it is the consequence of the vexatious things she hears from it that she feels no pleasure in talking to us a pomegranate blossom a very great friend of mine often repeated their conversation to me the rose-tree conceals from the fairy what it is <laughs> the fairy cannot discover it all one can make out is that it was not always a rose-tree 
she had spoken thus far when a pink and ranunculus and some other flowers entered and after paying their compliments to the lioness they announced to the tuberose that cornu intended to visit them a day earlier than usual that they might expect her the following morning and that she proposed making a pompous sacrifice to the rose-tree that they were ignorant of the cause of the grand ceremony but thought it denoted the approach of some great event the flowers wondered among themselves what this great event could be without coming to any definite conclusion then they talked about the weather a conversation in which they shone greatly and which would have amused leonette had her been in another frame of mind but she spoke little and listened less at sunset the flowers retired each to their home and leonette after taking a very slight repast of herbs from the mossy ground and drinking the water from the wonderful rivulet went to sleep at the feet of her faithful friend the tuberose the first rays of the sun having touched her eyelids she awoke the flowers were already on the move leonette arose and repaired to the rose tree she laid herself down in one of the corners of its little temple and saw all the flowers arrive and place themselves artistically to do honor to the fairy who did not keep them long waiting the whole of the temple glowed with the beautiful colors of these various flowers some formed themselves into arbors others into garlands crowns girandoles in short into a thousand and a thousand kinds of ornaments so marvelously arranged that the general effect was dazzling the sweetness of her perfume was exquisite and that which drew leonette from her reflections was that after this arrangement and on notice of the fairy's approach they commenced so melodiously a concert that the most melancholy beings would have forgotten their grief and have yielded to the sweet enchantment in which the music wrapped the soul the tuberose above all was perfection it charmed leonette completely she listened with delight to this wonderful melody and admired the poetry of the hymn which they sang when suddenly she saw the redoubtable cornu enter blazing with jewels but more frightfully ugly than can be described she was seized with a horror at this sight which she could not account for she reproached herself for it it is impossible said she to herself that i can still be affected by the weak prejudice of which my sex is so susceptible ought we to decide upon the qualities of the mind by the beauty or ugliness of the countenance what feelings must i inspire if they judge poor leonette by her form judge thyself before thou judgest others and conceal not from thyself that if ugliness induces thee to take an aversion to any one thou must thyself inspire a terrible horror while leonette was constraining herself to vanquish the dreadful feeling that the presence of the fairy had possessed her with the latter to the sound of joyful music which echoed throughout the temple of the rose-tree advanced toward the balustrade and saw the lioness who seated in the corner to which she had retired crouched in the most humble manner as the fairy gazed upon her cornu's countenance brightened with intense joy at the sight oracle whose words are always those of truth exclaimed she you have promised me that i should one day find that which i have sought for so earnestly and which doubtless you have reserved as recompense for the many honors i have paid you come said she to the fairies who followed her chain this wild beast and fasten it to my chariot after which let us immolate our victims four fairies threw a chain around leonette who allowed herself to be dragged out of the temple notwithstanding the grief shown by the flowers that looked as they do when aurora sheds her gentle dew upon them for they all love leonette but their tears did not in the least soften the inflexible heart of the jealous cornu 
the rose-tree shot from its stem a flame which consumed the offering of bees which the fairies had just placed upon a little golden altar they had drawn towards it its roses became a marinth colour cornu was quite alarmed at this change what prodigy is this cried she divinity of these realms do you protect my rival or is it the joy of delivering her into my power that has produced this mysterious change the rose-tree shuddered at these words and with a strong and terrible voice thus answered the fairy immolate to my just wrath the first fowl that shall cross my path mercy to it dare to show name thyself shall ever know the rose-tree after this closed its flowers and leaves and by this action appeared to bid the fairy depart she left the temple much disconsented and remounted her chariot to which they had fastened leonette with three other lions who were very handsome she took the reins that united these animals and drove slowly over the velvet lawn by the side of the rivulet the gentle murmuring of which favoured her meditations until one of the fairies following in another chariot exclaimed that she saw a fowl in the water which appeared to be drowning cornu stopped her chariot and ordered them to catch and bring her the bird that so luckily came to reconcile her with the oracle rose-tree the fairies who had the lightest clad threw themselves into the stream and caught the poor bird which was already insensible they carried it to cornu who was not at all surprised at its beauty for she instantly recognized it to her great dismay the unfortunate king kokriku oh heavens exclaimed she to herself is it thus cruel oracle thou wouldst have me understand thee she held the king up by his feet and having made him eject the water that he had swallowed he reopened his eyes already darkened by the approach of death then quickly touching him with her wand said to him resume thy proper form and save me thereby from the horror of taking thy life upon which mine depends at these words the king safe and sound appeared more brilliant than the sun his royal mantle on his shoulders and his crown of brilliance graceful encircling his temples what became of leonette at this sight her lover stood before her her lover a king and more beautiful than the day she would have been speechless with astonishment even had she not resolved beforehand that she would not speak to the fairy until she had discovered her motive for ill-treating her so cruelly she remained silent therefore but her eyes were so affectionately fixed on the king that if he had not been preoccupied by the adventure that had just occurred he would easily have recognized his unhappy princess what more do you require of me madame said he to cornu is it to make me feel my mistress more keenly that you have restored me to my form of which you so unjustly deprived me or do you at last repent that you have done me so much mischief ungrateful ever and still more ungrateful replied the fairy presenting her hand for him to assist her to descend from the chariot come and justify yourself and do not excuse me so saying she stepped with him upon the mossy bank of the rivulet and leaving her chariot and her companions at some distance spoke thus to the king whom she made to sit down beside her i need scarcely tell you that i have loved you from your infancy the care that i have taken of you must convince you of it if you still remember it for i do not expect gratitude for such poor benefits i will only slightly touch upon what has hitherto passed for i experienced but cruel ingratitude which my affection for you distinguished under the name of indifference arising perhaps from my lack of beauty i believed for some time that by kindness 
I should overcome this coldness. Beauty, I said, is but a poor possession. A sensible man is only caught at first by it. Unlimited power, a fairy who condescends so far as to desire to pleasure a mortal, is always sufficiently beautiful. I discovered but too late the abuse of my confidence, and saw with horror that I had a rival. What did I then do to be revenged but what every woman would have done? Far from availing myself of my power, I only exercised my discretion. I took Leonette away from you, but I did not kill her. What excess of weakness, for she was at my mercy, and what a proof of my love do you not recognize in that weakness? Your insults and contemptuous coldness drove me to despair. I deprived you of your form, and I left you. What greater cruelty could you show me than I had inflicted on myself? No, all your hatred did not torture me as much. In what misery did I pass my days after that frightful separation? I accused myself of cruelty. I forgot all of your injustice, and when becoming more calm, I thought of it as it really had been. I reproached myself with having given you cause for it by too much vivacity. In short, your image always present in my mind, the thought of your anger constantly weighing on my heart. I could get no rest. Some of the fairies who attended on me in the Opal Palace advised me to consult the oracle rose-tree respecting my destiny. This oracle, without anyone knowing the reason, has established itself here, or at least has planted itself in the sward of elegance, the name that is given to that which you behold here, from the rivulet which surrounds it because it possesses the faculty of making everything speak that is watered by it. Persecuted by my enemies, I came at last to consult with this new oracle. I found at first some relief to my troubles. I took great pleasure in embellishing its adobe. By my art I caused all kinds of flowers to grow here. I raised a little temple of verdure, and watering all the flowers from the rivulet of eloquence, I enabled them to converse with the rose-tree and entertain it. The information I gathered respecting my destiny made me grateful to the oracle, and gave me confidence in its predictions. I came often to question it, and I endeavored to discover by whom I could possibly be inspired. I ascertained that it was not one of these deities who take pleasure in manifesting themselves to mortals as Delphi. It was a man transformed into a rose-tree and protected by a power unknown to me and carefully kept a secret. I offered him all my power as a reward for what he had promised me, but he constantly declined it. At last, having predicted an event which has occurred to me this very day, in the commencement of my happiness, he commanded me to sacrifice to him the first fowl that I should see. Judge, if all the happiness I could expect from its promise is to be weighed in the balance against your life, for that is what he demands of me, could I feel... Could I know a comfort deprived of it? Let the oracle be angry with me. Overwhelm me, if it will, with the most dreadful calamities. I will not avoid them by the sacrifice of your life. Continue, if you dare, to treat me inhumanely. Cruelly, I will submit to it, provided I can still behold you. For I have resolved to suffer everything your hatred can inflict upon me. Sooner than consent to immolate you to the strange caprice of the rose tree. End of section thirty five. Recording by Jennifer Whisk.